Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Pod of DC. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein. I hope you're having a fine, fine day. It is my honor and privilege to be sitting with my good friend of many years, Robert Hoffheimer, today. Robert, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing well, man. Doing good. Good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you. It's hard to pick where to pick up on together because you and I have known each other for, for so many years. First meeting when we were about 13, there at the cusp of middle school to high school, involved with a, a Jewish youth group, Mid-Atlantic Federation of Temple Youth, or MAFTI, as many of us remember it back in the late 80s and early 90s. People from 20 years ago called it MAFTI, and I think I think it's Nifty Mar now. But, Nifty yeah. Mar, that's right. Same concept, though. Basically, kids from different communities throughout the Mid-Atlantic, Virginia, North Carolina, Maryland, Delaware, West Virginia, you know, all getting together kind of with a, a religious base, but for me, it was very social, and I think you probably feel the same about the experience. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's this was a Jewish youth group, right? So that created a, a sort of balance right, right off the bat. There was some commonality there that even though we were coming from all over, there was still that immediate commonality, which allowed for all the social stuff, which was a lot of fun. It did. It did. And it, it, it was interesting because you grew up in the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area. I'm up from Fredericksburg, so a few hours north, but it felt far away growing up in that time. It felt like really different worlds that we grew up in. What was it like growing up near the beach in those early years coming up through middle school, high school? Yeah. I mean, and a lot of this, I'm going to try to compare and contrast because I've got teenagers um, myself and they're on social media and all sorts of stuff. And I think their worldview is very different than, than what mine was at that same age. But growing up in Norfolk and Virginia Beach, we, we just running around with my friends in the neighborhood or riding bikes and leave the house early in the morning and, you know, maybe come back for lunch and then leave again and come back. You know, it was just was outside a lot. If it was raining, we'd be at my house or be at a friend's house and playing Sega Genesis and um, <laughs> sort of stuff. NES, um, come on now. Yeah. It was different. I, I feel like, you know, even, even though I, we were... As a family, we were blessed to travel um, a little bit. My parents and my sister and I um, did do some traveling. We, we read and we, we tried to sort of pay attention to the world around us and, and it, as, as broadly as we could. It was different. I, I don't think I had as much of a sense of the world with, you know, big capital W world as my kids do. At the same time, I, I think that the sense that we did have was maybe more intimate than what my kids get through TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and that sort of stuff. I, it, it's different. For me, doing the youth group the way that we did and being able to have immediate face-to-face -face conversations and see and laugh and joke and just hang out with kids my age that had lots of similarities to, to what I was going through as, you know, awkward middle schooler and middle schooler and high schooler and being a certain fish in a certain size pond in my school and in my neighborhood and then being, hey, wow, I'm the same fish, but the pond's just different now mm -hmm. when we're in youth group. We're all over from North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, D.C., Delaware, like that, that from everywhere in, in that area. But seeing some of that commonality, but also being able to recognize some of those, some of those differences there, it opened up the world. I think you know it, it was a, a nice stepping stone for some independence and some sort of self discovery about all right, well, who am I? Right, I, I am not only who I am at school. I am not only who I am in in my parents' house. Right, 
I am also who I am in this, you know, in this other social context and with these other group of people and like figuring out kind of what shape piece am I <laughs> relative to all those different puzzles, the more different places we can expose our kids and the more different places we can put them, the more opportunities they have to figure out what shape are they? Who are they? From a young age, you, you are, you're all ego, right? You're like, all, you're, I, I want food, I want warmth, I want, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, over time as you grow up, and, and I'd say really in, the, in those sort of elementary school, middle school age is when you start truly understanding empathy and, and understanding the kind of your place relative to others. And and it's hard. It's hard to understand that. I, I saw something the other day, it was a TED talk, and she was talking about how teenagers literally lose 50% of their brain capacity from puberty to about 25 years old um, is when your brain sort of stops and you, it's fully formed, right? But during those times, you literally lose 50% of the brain cells just go away. And like, that's one of the reasons why teenagers suck so much is that they've <laughs> literally lost their minds, right? Um, and like their personality, some of the aspects of that personality has just gone away and they're trying to rewire those synapses. I think one of the things that, that our parents did for us that was really valuable was both sort of encouraging us, but also allowing us to get into different circles and help to figure out and, and in nurturing ways to get into different social situations that, that would help us to figure out who we were. Who do I want to be as I interact with lots of different people as I interact, you know, and, and ha who do I want to be for myself? And like, what is, what is the true thing for me? Is it the kid that likes to read and write or am I the kid that wants to be on stage and talk, mm -hmm. um, play guitar or whatever? Like who, who am I? And as a kid, that, particularly at that age, man, from like middle school, high school, you don't have a freaking clue. Like you think, you know, and you posture a lot, right. But you don't know. Like, and, and to me, I think that youth group gave us, gave us another safe space to explore that and be comfortable without like, I don't know, it, there was something really magical about, you know, that space being in youth group and being, I'm not sure how much of it was the other kids we were with, you know, friends like you that, that we got to, to be with um, and how much of it was the adult leadership that was helping to create this space for us. But there was something pretty magical about that space and about the, the way in which it created a, a, that space for vulnerability it was that way for me. I, I hope it was that way for, for everybody that we were there with. Sure. I'm sure that it was not. I'm sure that there were some folks that, you know, had equally a hard time in that youth group as they did in high school, or it was a harder youth group than it was in high school or whatever, right? But for me, it was it was a place to not test out who I was. That's that's not quite it. <laughs> um, but it was a way for me to, to, to help discover and, and be more of who I was and who I wanted to be with without quite as much sort of baggage or pressure or whatever that you might have felt at school or school. It's like this sort of like home and kind of like school because it was just mostly kids, right? Um, it was. But it was neither of those two places, right? It was neither of those two environments. And I think that was a really powerful opportunity that we got and definitely sort of encouraged some independence. It did. All the points you touch on, I, I am so in lockstep with. Again, my brother tried MAFTI. He did it. He went to a few events. It didn't do it for him. 
He didn't lock in with any group of friends. So I I think you and I kind of had a little bit of this kind of lightning in a bottle where it was like-minded individuals and spirits with the timing and the structure and the leadership. I think without all of those components, just one of those might not be enough to carry the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And and I had a great leader just within my own synagogue who was also active, my rabbi, um, who was really active with it. So that helped cultivate... Rabbi Steve, who I keep in touch with, you know, Rabbi Steve bar mitzvahed me. He did my confirmation. He married my wife and I. He did my daughter's baby naming and, and he spoke at my, my dad's funeral. So he has been an absolute integral part in just my life. But having him did not hurt, certainly, in encouraging that participation and his involvement as well. It was a connection that wasn't as easy as it is now, I think, with kind of what you were touching on and teenagers today and and your kids who they can experience these things in the world, frankly, with just a few clicks and a few searches online where we had to experience it ourselves. We had to physically drive or get on the bus, which is really how yep. we got to these events. Remember that we we would meet up at the Hardee's in Fredericksburg and it would be me and maybe two <laughs> or three others from my youth group. And we would wait for that bus that was coming either from the north to go south to the event or coming from the south to go north to the event. And you jump on a bus with your suitcase and then you see a bunch of strangers. I remember walking on that bus for the very first time. I didn't know a face or a soul oh, yeah. on there. Deer in the headlights, man. <laughs> like, Deer in like, the headlights. Oh, what is right. going on? At 13. Yeah. But that throws you into an environment, and it's kind of a, a sink or swim kind of setup. And you do. Some people swim. Some people just say, it's just not for me. It's almost like, oh, this is just an extension of my environment now. Why Why bother? It really just fostered a community that was different from what I had at home. You know, as I got more involved, you and I both got very involved. We were both on what they called the board, where we were kind of mini leaders in our regions, where we would send out updates on what was going on and events and that sort of thing. Thinking back on, on when we were, you know, in those leadership roles of our youth group in high school and the way in which we were able to still communicate without the internet, really, and be effective. And I think we were, were just as effective doing it that way as, as we would be today, if, you know, if we're doing it over texting and that sort of stuff. But that seems so improbable to me. Like, how did we, how did we do that? And is there something that is that we take for granted now or that my kids take for granted now or that they that is lost because of the immediacy that, that they have right now. Knowing, you know, what you and I experienced through youth group and, and the, the the friendships that we formed there and the independence that we gained and that sort of stuff. Like I, I, so I have expectations that, that my kids will be able to have those same sorts of relationships and, and be able to, to develop the independence and develop themselves and who they are in a similar or even you know, way, way that exceeds that. 13 is when you and I first met. And then that's really where I think my journey began. That was at the end of middle school, because to, to participate in this group, Matthew, you, you would have had to have already been bar mitzvahed. So after 13 is when a lot of the participation started. And a lot, frankly, for a lot of people, it started actually in high school. And for you and I, it started a little bit earlier, more like that eighth grade range. It was really important to me to have that other group of friends. I think having a diversity of groups of friends, and we see it now even today, there's pockets of friendships. And I think without realizing it at the time and knowing how important it was to us, we did the same. You had your Norfolk, Virginia Beach friends, which was its own community. Mm -hmm. 
and you pulled a lot of your culture and the music and your interests from that area. And then you kind of injected it into Mafti, where I coming from Fredericksburg, different kind of culture, different kind of music, different kind of scene. And, and you injected that in, right? And so like that mixing pot was great. That mixing pot was great, but there was a physicality to you and I physically being in the same room together, jumping in a car and doing a physical road trip to right. these board meetings. There's just something about that level of connection that we would get when we would go on the weekends to these youth group events mm -hmm. that you just can't capture in a Zoom call. The convenience that we have now to be able to reach out and be in touch is there, mm -hmm. but it really takes that extra effort and to physically be there. I think to really deepen those friendships. I'm a little biased in that regard, but that's kind of you're right how I feel. And I think it takes a little bit of boredom too. The youth group events or the board meetings or when we drive up and just hang out for a weekend, right? During that time, there was a lot of moments where there was nothing that we were supposed to be doing. And so we were just hanging out. And like, I know you and I would listen to music a lot. We would you know, make mixtapes, but, but like there were mm -hmm. times where we just talked or we would play cards or we, you know, and playing cards was just a distraction. And then we would be talking while we're playing cards, right? Or we <laughs> doing like, you know, there's stuff like that. Um, we weren't on our phones. We weren't talking with other people that were not in the room at that moment or other people that were not on the bus with us at that moment. We were there and there was no choice but to be there. And so there's something that is really powerful about constraining to a certain degree. Oh, gosh, what's the quote? It's basically like creativity requires rule, right? In order to, to really, truly be innovative, you need to have some boundaries and then you innovate within those boundaries, right? And, and so there, there's something that is that gets lost when there's the world at your fingertips and through your phone. The world, meaning all the information in the world, but also every person you've ever met <laughs> and could possibly want to talk to is available to you in some form at every moment of your life. And so there's a natural tendency as you're talking to somebody, if you're sitting next to somebody at, you know, at the dinner table or wherever to say, oh, yeah, but I could also be talking to this person over here or I could also, you know, here or hey, together, why don't we message this person? Now they're going to be three of us talking. But that diminishes something about what the one-on-one -on -one was, mm -hmm. right? And I definitely see that with my wife and I, with, with the kids, um, I see it with everybody. And, and I'm as guilty of it as anyone, but it, it, it's something that we didn't grow up with, right? And, and so there is this voice in the back of my head right now that, that's going, okay, am, am I just, you know, like the crotchety old man on the, on the porch, you know, saying back in my day, you know? <laughs> um, and, and like, right. yeah, so it's different. Does that necessarily mean that it's bad? Part of me does feel, yeah, maybe not necessarily bad, but in this case, yeah, it's probably bad, right? I think there's something that is, <laughs> that is um, I'm with you. Right? I think there is something about it that is that boredom, that, that constraint that says we're sitting next to each other on the bus and yeah, I mean, there are other people who are having conversations, but you're the guy I got to talk to. We're in a car together. You're the guy I got to talk to. We got to come up with something to do so we don't kill each other. And we, and we certainly had those moments, I think, at times where we were at that edge and, and maybe wanted to kill each other. Um, and, and then we we'll get to our road and, trip and, later. And, but but and like there, um, there, there is something about not having a back door and that's what the, our phones become. They become like that back door. You, know, you can always bolt out the back door and start seeing what somebody else is talking about or, or engage in Twitter or whatever you want to engage with on, on the news and not be engaged with the here and the now. And that's a, 
I don't know, a, a blessing and a curse, I guess, more of a curse than a blessing at this point. But Well, I think what stands out, and it's not so much a bull bull back in my day did this versus this today. I mean, big upgrades, big changes were going from cassette tapes to a CD player or going from CDs to an iPod or mobile uh, music and MP3s and those kinds of things. You think of these shifts and things that we consume every day as being, wow, that's a real shift and groundbreaking and how we consume things. We're talking about a fundamental shift in communicating and connecting with other humans. It's not an evolution from the broiler to the microwave. You know, it was really product driven, I think, is what we grew up with when we think of big shifts of things. Now you're talking about a total overhaul in how we communicate. So I do think it's a big deal. And I do think it's something that's pretty shocking and jolting when we look back on how did we communicate? How did we connect in our time versus how kids do. So I, I don't think it's an understated. And I do think things have shifted in a direction that, again, I don't know is for the best. I think first and foremost, human connection period in any way, shape or form it comes uh, is important. So if that just means doing remote video chats and those kinds of things, that's great. But when you start saying, for instance, what friends will do, like when a, a, uh, or a high school class reunion comes up, now, you can make the choice of saying, I keep in touch with all the friends that I've already kept over the years through Facebook. I know what they're up to. We keep in touch that way. I don't need to go to that high school reunion. Or do you know all those things? And you say, you know what? There's still something about being in a room and catching up with these people after 20 and 25 years with them. And I've been to my own 20th high school reunion, and I went to my 10th. I went to my wife's 20th and then her 25th this past year. and it's different. We're older. It's more differences in the stage of life that we're in, but connecting and seeing these people, and most of these are strangers to me, but I've met kind of over the course of time. There's something to be said for that. And I always get excited, probably even more about it than she does. And she's not on Facebook or these social sites, but I probably get even more excited because I yearn for that human connection. I've heard about so-and-so, and then I get to physically meet that person. Yep. Have you gone back? Have you guys had any reunions or gone back? And would you if if they were organized? That That is one difference between you and I. I think you have always been and, and, and continue to be like one of the most social people I know. And, and like, do you, like you do thrive <laughs> on that social interaction. And, and, and I'm, I'm less so. I, I, I'm not fully introverted, but, but I, I am less extroverted, I think, than you are. And, and so for all my own little hangups, I, I'm sure I got baggage. I know I have baggage from, from high school and things like that. And so there are probably multitudes of little reasons that add up to say, eh, nah, not for me. In, in hindsight, I think some of that may have been a mistake. Um, I, I think that sort of forcing myself to go in there, it's like walking on that bus for the first time, right? You know, <laughs> when it's mm -hmm. like, but it, but it's not because you have this history with folks. But honestly, we've all changed so much that it is like walking on the bus for the first time. Like you go in there like, that guy's bald like me. And we both used to have hair, you know, <laughs> like, right? And it's different. But, but it's hard not to walk into that room or not to, you Know, sign up for that reunion and, and think, wait, I'm I'm a high school kid again, and you know this click and that click, and who's who's still living it in in our hometown and who's not, and I bet they're all keeping in closer touch than I am with each other, and and like and and so the, the, all those high school anxieties just pop right back up. Yeah, you know, and, yeah, and can. so so I we did not go, and for you know for lots of internal garbage mostly um 
Right. You have an out with technology. You can certainly say, okay, well, I can see what somebody's up to without having to learn that firsthand and actually physically go through and see that they no longer have hair. or Maybe they put on 20 pounds or something along those lines. The genie's out of the bottle now, and it's hard to go back. And we didn't have it all, an alternative back then. And so that's what you did. You just physically went to those reunions to, to catch up. I mean, my dad, God bless him. I mean, he would went all the way back to, I think, up to about his 55th high school reunion. And it was just something every five, 10 years, he just looked forward to so much, you know, that physical connection. That's the world he knew. He knew connection that way without technology the way it is today. And it was something that he looked forward to. And he was proud where he was in life. He was proud of his family. He was proud of the work that he had done over the years. So what is it that he has to kind of not uh, show up for? Let's talk about those things. I want them to tell about my son who's in college or just graduated or has a job in Northern Virginia or something along those lines. So I think, that, you know, there's something to be said for that. But what's also equally difficult to think about is how you and I navigated the United States over 32 states, <laughs> 13,000 miles over seven weeks, the summer of 1994. You had just turned 18. I was about to turn 18. I turned 18 on the trip. We did that without Waze or Google Maps. We yeah, actually yeah. physically had to open up an atlas and physically open up maps, trace our steps, and find out which route to take. So it was late June of 1994. We were at your house in Virginia Beach. Mm -hmm. This was the first time your parents and my parents met. We began organizing this trip in about March of that year. Yep. And then here we were three and a half months later saying goodbye to our parents, traveling cross-country, and only keeping in touch via postcards, handwritten notes, or pay phones, or yeah. family and collect friends' calls. <laughs> phones, and collect calls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that was wild, man. Like, thinking about, oh gosh, the trust, the trust that our parents had in us as, as individuals, and in us as being able to make good decisions about who our friends were. My folks trusted me to know that you were a good person and we would be safe together, that we would make wise decisions or wise enough decisions and that your parents trusted you in that same way. Probably it says as much for who our parents were. Actually, it says everything for who our parents were because, because not only did they have that trust in us, but they raised us so that we had earned that trust. Right. Um, and, Agreed. And, Ultimately, they knew that I think we would, when faced with an unusual situation, when faced with a, a, a choice where, you know, it could go bad, we would make the choice that would help it not go bad, right? That's the tough part about being a parent. You need your kids to be exposed to those choices and you need to step away to let them make them, right? And, and give them a soft Absolutely. landing if necessary, but, but ultimately let them make those choices. Again, we started in Virginia Beach. We we shot west. We camped out a few times. We stayed in a hostel in Memphis. And you're, yep, I see you holding up the map, which is awesome. We went over to Memphis. And what I left out of my pod, Cross Country, in which I talk about the trip you and I did that summer of 1994, we went over to, to Memphis and did kind of the Graceland experience. But we also went through and did a tour of the Jack Daniels Distillery, yes. I remember. <laughs> Um, which was kind of a hoot. And I couldn't believe that that county was a dry county. So you could take the tour of the Jack Daniels distillery, but you couldn't purchase anything, not that we could legally anyway, right. after the tour. And then, you know, we kind of worked our way down to uh, New Orleans and we shot back across Louisiana, across Texas. We went down to, you know, San Antonio and 
Austin. We went over to El Paso. Then we went up to kind of the Grand Canyon and, and Zion and all those parks over to California. Then we shot up the coast of California, up to Seattle, where we were, where I turned 18, staying with some of your family and then headed back east. And the highlights for me coming back east were Yellowstone, which was amazing. Seeing some of my family in Chicago and then coming back up north, up to Boston and New York and then back home. What of those visits of those travels really stuck out in your mind that summer as being really formative or really memorable? Oh, gosh. You hit sort of the I'd say like the corners of our trip, right? It's all, all the little places where we, you know, our, our main stopovers and, and that sort of stuff. And, and I feel like I can probably pick out like a few little memories from, from all of them. I mean, I remember we camped out our first night in, in the, like the mountains mm-hmm. of Western Virginia and then going to Memphis. And I, remember, I think that was our first time staying in a hostel. I just remember I had a, a UVA hat with the, with the traditional V on it. And someone asked if, if that was for Vanderbilt you know, college in, in Nashville. I remember being so confused. How could somebody not know that that's the V for Virginia? Right. <laughs> right. And like that sort of talks about, yeah, I think we, we talked about earlier, like the, the sort of getting out of your own bubble and interacting with people that are, you know, the same, but different and have this different worldview. And like, you know, the difference between growing up in off Virginia Beach and growing up in Fredericksburg, like, and suddenly we're in this place where we're kids, they were a couple, probably a few years older than us. Um, we were trying to figure out what we we're going to do for dinner. And, and like something as minuscule as that, like the, the world that, that I grew up in that, you know, blue hat with an orange V that's Virginia. That is UVA. That is, and it, it goes without question. Everybody recognizes that. And then our second day away, that moment where it's like, oh, wait, and it's such a little thing, right? But that sticks out of my head mm-hmm. as being a moment where I realized that some of the sort of the signifiers that, that I had relied on for my identity in some ways, people were recognized. If I have this V Virginia hat on, they're going to recognize that that's Virginia. And that says something about me because it's associated with UVA. And suddenly, no, those signifiers don't mean a darn thing anymore. Like it's not about what mm-hmm. you're wearing. It's not about those signifiers are, it, it's about, you know, what are the words that are coming out of your mouth? How are you treating the people around you? Those are the things that really matter. And that's what we're going to deal with. That was a light bulb moment. It's such a little thing, but it, it, interesting. you know, going to New Orleans, I remember saying in hostel down there and, and reading the declaration for the 4th of July. And, right. uh, oh, another thing I remember when we left New Orleans, driving West through Louisiana, we decided in our planning of this trip that when it was possible to take a road that wasn't the highway, we would, again, we weren't trying to get the fastest way, right? We were just trying to get uh, that. I think that is one difference, like particularly when you're looking at like, you know, people using Google maps or using Waze or, or, you know, their Apple Maps or whatever, it's always getting you there the fastest way. It's about the destination. The, those apps are designed to get you to your destination. And, and that was not our goal on that trip. I mean, it was sort of our goal, but ultimately our destination was right back home, right? And so our goal was to wander the country. Um, we had some high points we wanted to see, but we weren't trying to get to a place it required a different mindset and, and I feel really lucky that you and I found each other and, and shared that mindset at that age. There's some value in wandering. 
a little bit and you improvise, but you, you want to have, or creativity comes with, you have to have some boundaries for it to really be creative. And for us, you know, the boundaries were, all right, we've got a car. We had some major milestones. Like we wanted to be able to get to certain places by certain dates. And we need, knew we needed to be home by a certain date. Avoid highways if it's feasible. Generally go west and you can't go west anymore. Then go north and then go east. <laughs> like that was, that was the goal. I think that that was one thing that I really took away from our, our road trip was the sense of space for the country. We've talked a lot about, you know, there's there are all these commonalities that we had just living two hour drive apart growing up, but there were these differences as well. And like sort of celebrating those differences, bridging those differences, using the commonalities to do so. And I think one of the things that I saw as we drove around the country, every place we went, we ran into folks that were about our age, that were doing something similar, that were trying to think about that same type of adventure, that were being tourists, but being down low tourists. I think we were kind of down low tourists as, as, as much as we could. You know, <laughs> We met people every place we went. I mean, uh, we would get to a town and we wouldn't find it, or, or we'd get to a town and then look in a phone book to try to figure out where to go. And we'd show up at, at the place. If they had room, we'd stay. And if they didn't, look back in the book and try to find someplace else or we'd stop at a gas station just out of town and like call mm. try to find out where to go for whatever and we got to santa fe and it was all filled up and we're sort of at the payphone at the hostel trying to figure out where the heck to go and these two girls were there too right and, and they they were in the same boat so we're like all right well let's you guys like there's a campground nearby we think we're going to go there you guys want to share a campsite Right? And, and like those moments where we didn't have a plan, the plan we thought we had had blown up, right? And and then suddenly, like just being sort of situationally aware, we were able to say, oh, well, hey, these folks are in the same boat we are. And, and that was fun. We made dinner and, and had a good time that night and, um, you know, got up next morning and great. That was fun. Uh, where are you guys headed? I think you and I were headed towards Grand Canyon at that point. I think they were heading in east and so we're like all right cool um we left but like yes i remember the, being at the campground and having a good time at the campground but i also remember that moment in the hostel and like standing outside it, was, it seemed like everything in santa fe was single story um these single story buildings all spread out and there's this little brick thing and i remember mm-hmm. this blazing hot sun we're standing sort of half in the shade um on this payphone when it makes sense to me that i was probably on the phone and you probably met them <laughs> that you were the social one <laughs> that was like struck up the conversation and I, and I was probably a, a ball of stress trying to find us a place to go and like just as i'm like getting frustrated and, and can't figure out what to do next you were like hey these girls will go camping with us <laughs> be like all right sweet rick save the day <laughs> We both had the shared goal that we were motivated to get where we were going, but also to experience where we were. And I couldn't have gone gone through that trip myself. Just the way that you were viewing things, the way I viewed things, while different in some ways, maybe it was a different route, or maybe we were going to pick a different end, end destination. I think that at the end of the trip, it did take kind of our complementary interests, skill sets, if you want to call it that, intuition, goals to get out of the trip or the experience. You and I had a break after that. I mean, we ended the trip in the middle of August. We had been inseparable for seven weeks. We were probably ready for a little break. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you spend that much time with somebody, no matter how good of a friend you are with them, you want a little break. 
but it certainly, if anything, it enriched our friendship. It's something that is one of the highlights and most just have had the biggest impact on my life. I think that trip with you and our friendship that would be at the tip of my tongue, if anyone were to ask me, what were some of the most impactful experiences of your life? And that's why I wanted to highlight that episode and talk about that trip. It was the trip, yes, but it was who I was sharing it with. Yeah, for sure. And I think you're right. We had complimentary skills or habits or certainly conflicted at times, right? At the end, there was going to be a natural break anyway, because we were both heading off to college, right? Different parts. And, yep. and it was sort of, that was one deal that I know my folks wanted some time with me between the trip and college. And then like, there was some very practical logistical reasons for that, right? They've started to miss me already, you know? <laughs> like, I'm sure your folks are the same way, right? So they wanted to see me. So, but that break afterwards, we did. I mean, I think, yeah, we went from together 24 seven for- Seven um, weeks. Seven. seven weeks to, we talk on the phone every, every other week at most during that freshman year of college. That was a huge thing for me when I came to college as a freshman was not only my desire to meet new people, but also I, I name dropped. That's how I connected with people because I knew someone from that high school right. in Northern Virginia through Mafti. And then I would tell them about the trip you and I just did and connections I made and the friendships I made and what enriched my college experience was based on the experiences I had really through that trip and through youth group. It was a way to connect with people. And just like you, you know, like I met folks from college that were from all over the country and then say, oh yeah, I've, I've been near there or yeah, you know, that sort of stuff. And, and so was able to do that in high school and even in youth group, there was a built-in commonality by those communities, right? In, in high school, like you know, our parents knew each other or we you know, had been going to school together since elementary school or had a friend that we knew since elementary school and same with youth group. Like there was, there was the religious aspect and there were friends that we knew there. But when we did that trip, every time we stopped somewhere, we met somebody. There were only a few nights where, you know, it was just you and I camping out somewhere or in a hostel where we didn't meet other people in the hostel. And, and so we had some interactions with strangers that, sort of forced me to get more comfortable with that interaction with strangers. Um, and and mm -hmm. that that really served me well uh, in college because that, that's not my natural inclination. You know, I'm not shy necessarily, but but I am more reserved, I think, than I think would have served me. So being in college and being sort of meeting folks, I, I, there was one person from my high school who went to the same college as I did. And she and I knew each other pretty well, but we weren't like friends, right? It was a small high school, so we knew each other well, but we weren't close friends. And so it was brand new social circle. And then we figure out who am I and who do I want to hang out with? And, you know, what do I value in, in my friends? And being able to, to meet strangers was a skill that I picked up on that trip. Um, and it was a skill that I was able mm. to practice on that trip. I think what you and I can sh both share is that the combination of the experience of getting out of our own neighborhoods with, with Mafti and Temple Youth combined with this trip, it was all outside of the world that we knew up to that point. Mm -hmm. And I think they, you couldn't ask for a better preparation to go to college and to have that. Otherwise, it would be, okay, these are the people that I know from my high school that also go to this school. So maybe I'll kind of start with them and then maybe we'll together meet different people and kind of combine our groups together. I mean, I really started very cold in college, just with immediately out of the gate with brand new friends. Mm -hmm. um, I'd see my old high school friends and say hi to each other, but it, it, it was a totally different path that I charted. I'm just so grateful for that experience and, and to have shared it with you. At least for me, and it sounds like probably for you as well, some of that self-discovery didn't happen until 
after high school. Maybe that was some self-discovery. Maybe that was people that were available to be in the friend group in high school was too limited um, and what was limited based on yeah. who we were. And I'm sure it's a little bit of both. Being able to figure out who you are and then find a peer group that fits that. And it's not totally, you know, hey, I'm a piece. I'm going to find where in the puzzle I fit. There's there's some softening of edges on all sides, right? You shape who you are by the people you are around. But having that opportunity to go to college and, and sort of learning the, the comfort level to do that for yourself. And I think we learned that through, through that trip. And I continue to try to learn it. Um, and making new friends as an adult is hard. It's just as hard as it was as a kid, maybe harder. It is. I feel like it's, it, it is repeating those stages all over again. You know, you, you kind of have what we would say our shared experience. Oh, do you know so-and-so or, you know, from Temple Youth now it's, oh, my son does this. So you go to the same school. So kind of our kids have now been the conduit to meeting new families, but otherwise adult to adult, it is, it's, you can't make new old friends. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's so special about our friendship is that you and I have seen each other through all these different phases. And, you know, I can attest that you're a pretty decent dude for sure. So I've enjoyed the scenic route you and I have taken in life together. And uh, we've been together through very happy events, through some sad ones and some right in between. And um, putting something like this together, I I couldn't wait to talk about our trip and, and have this conversation with you. So, yeah, man, thank you. I, I, this has been fun. I mean, you know, I'm lousy at keeping in touch. So, and, and, and you're, you're the master of it. So, but let's do this again. Absolutely, man. We will. There's more to talk about for sure. Sounds good, man. Till next time from the pod of DC, I'm your host, Rick Bernstein. We'll talk soon.